a Radio 191 FM podcast. And right now on the line, I am joined by Irma, um, Professor Hugh Barton, Professor of Planning, Health and Sustainability from the University of the West of England in Bristol. Good morning to you, Hugh. Good morning. Kaiora. Kaiora, how are we today? We're good, thank you. Marvellous, marvellous. Well, I see you're, you're in Aotearoa, you're in New Zealand right now. Um, are you trapped here, Hugh? Um, I'm visiting. Um, I, I've got uh, my daughter and relations here, and my wife is a New Zealand citizen, so that enables us to get in. Ah, I see. So you get it and you can get out as well? <laughs> Did you say, can I get out? Yeah. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> that'll be that'll be in January. That'll be January. Very good. All right. And while you're here, why not uh, come to the University of Otago and give a presentation tomorrow on your latest edition of your co-authored uh, book, "Shaping Neighbourhoods for Local Health and Global Sustainability." Um, yeah. Now, the book covers all aspects of spatial planning. What exactly is that? It sounds simple. Planning in a space. Is it that simplistic? It- the, the problem is that planning touches, because it's about the physical environment we're all using and about the buildings and the roads and everything else, it touches every aspect of life. Um, so some of the most fundamental issues of society, uh, such as um, whether we're living healthily or not, um, inequality between people, inability to get things, to get to places, uh, lack of physical exercise, obesity, all those kind of things, as well as climate change, use of energy, pollution, air pollution, and so on. All these things tie into how we develop our cities, our towns, and our villages. Mm. And uh, unless, unless we do it better, then we're, we're, we're creating an ecological and a health crisis. Now, a lot of these issues have become problems as cities have grown over time, I guess, in a way. I mean, we obviously, we used to have... Um, issues in terms of pollution but it was more waste product of our own until we developed sewer systems and things like that um, yeah. you, you know and then the health of, of um, the world basically improved um, after those things became uh, you know it became things you know diseases disease numbers dropped and things like that uh, but yeah. now now other issues have come about from intensification right yeah yeah um, yeah, the, I mean, we're now dealing with different sets of illnesses, except, of course, when we happen to have something like the current pandemic, yeah. um, which harks back to older days in a way. But uh, the way we evolved, and this is not, I'm not talking specifically about New Zealand here, but I think it shares the same problems as many other countries in the world, including Great Britain, um, that we've developed towns and cities that are very inequitable and very energy intensive. Both those things create problems. So in terms of um, inequity, just think about the cost of housing, which I know is an issue here. <laughs> yes. um, and is, is, why, is the, why is the housing so expensive? Well, that's a very complex thing to answer, but town planning is a vital part of that answer. So is central government regulation and so on. But um, the way we actually um, shape and allocate land and so forth is critical. And equivalently, um, transport. If you have to have a car, and in, in this country and in parts of Britain as well, you have to have more or less one car per adult. That is very expensive. Mm-hmm. If people are poor, 
and either they cannot afford a car or they afford a car and then cannot afford food or or whatever um can't go on holiday uh then then that'll lead to lead to problems uh, so it exacerbates poverty and if you think about transport and and housing that's a major part of people's expenditure yeah so um town planning influences that um, and then think about physical activity. We all we all uh, like to think we get enough of it, maybe, uh, but most of us don't. Um, children, especially, don't aren't always cultivated into um, regular walking and cycling and so on. Um, though I have to say, in New Zealand, around here, I got grandchildren, and I've noticed that the children are able to walk. Some local children able to walk to school even when they're quite young, like seven or eight, yeah. which wouldn't happen in Britain. So you know, there's all kinds of things going on. Is that not happening in Britain anymore? It's not happening so, as much here anymore either, though. To, to be honest, here it's not like it was really? when I was a child. Really? Yeah. Uh, well, I have seen. I have seen some, a few. Yeah, yeah. You will. Um, you brought up before, like I mean. Oh, oh, over the years, for a long time, um, councils or town planners have always set aside areas for uh, intensive housing development for lower socioeconomic communities. Uh, in New Zealand's state house program in the 1950s, um, in, in the UK where you're from, you've got council estates and whatnot. But over time, uh, as cities have grown, those areas have become desirable. And of course, there's gentrification. Yeah. Uh, and then, but it seems to me that uh, through even though the gentrification happens, those areas become more expensive and uh, in cases here in Aotearoa, community housing has been knocked down um, for because the area has become too affluent for it in the community, but new space hasn't been put aside for building of more um, social housing. And that's an issue. Yes, indeed. And I can't talk with any authority about that here, but um, in the UK, uh, the policy of allowing... Uh, people, as they go more affluent, to sell off their council, to actually buy, sorry, to buy their council house. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it becomes part of the market. And as you say, then you get gentrification progressively in such areas if they're, if they're attractive, generally. Um, and that means that the stock of, of uh, social housing or cheap housing is, is progressively reduced and yeah. not compensated for by new development normally. Mm. So, yeah, it's, it's utterly critical. And I have to say that looking across Europe, um, the, the places which manage housing well also have control over rent, um, both public sector rent and private sector rent. Um, Vienna is held up as the beacon of how to do it. Um, and it, it works. And it means that everybody can gain access to uh, decent housing at a decent price. Yeah. Yeah. A, a reasonable price. I, I've talked um, about rent control a lot. <laughs> I think it's something we certainly need. Yeah. Um, uh, now, yeah, and in, sorry, go on. Oh no, you go on. Sorry, apologies. Well, in terms of of development and how you manage new um, new areas or redevelop areas, again, the the lessons, very strong lessons, which we've been learning in Britain, but haven't been adopted by the government, of course, um, is that you need the local authority or some equivalent, some public sector body, to take control of, of land when it's being reused. 
um, or when new land is being developed. So that it can plan in infrastructure properly, mm-hmm. uh, not just um, streets, but, but schools and, and parks and, and uh, potential for all other activities that need to go on within a community. And the whole structure of the place is geared to um, local activity, to, um, to active travel, meaning walking and cycling, yeah. to uh, local facilities being available and and people being, being easy to develop communities within the area. Also, the service to make sure that public transport is effective and frequent. Yeah. All those things take a lot of careful planning. They do, they do. And it, um, no doubt the pandemic has brought uh, health outcomes... Um, for, uh, from poor poor health outcomes from poor spatial planning, um, you know when your only choice for recreation or and um, you know location is your own neighbourhood, uh, you're affected by what goes on in your surroundings. Localised uh, pollution issues, um, you know you may live close to factories or motorways, uh, and now instead of you know being able to get away, um, you're kind of stuck in these areas that might have little to no green space for leisure. Um, yeah. You know, just taking a break in an open space um, can be quite difficult, really. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And all the research shows that green space, acts, acts, especially for poorer groups who probably don't have so much, at, 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 you know, transport available, um, then um, having local green space of quality and, and places that feel safe to go to places where children can play, use and kick around balls, um, people can go and sit and enjoy nature. That contact with, with uh, the reality of the world, in other words, the natural world, is critically important for mental well-being and can be for physical well-being as well. And that's particularly so for people who are less well-off. Yes. Yes, indeed. And you brought up transport before. Public transport, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a hard one. It's something we're battling here in Aotearoa, and every city around the world has been battling for a very long time. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, you've got the mega highways that never never fix the issue, uh, and things like that. You know, it's not a field of dream situation. If you build it, they will come. You're kind of dealing with generations of car lovers who don't want to take a bus or a train. They love their cars. Um, how do you navigate that? Transport is also really expensive, so um, and it will take time before it's prof- profitable or, or, or vi- economically viable uh, yeah. because people aren't going to adopt it straight away because they, they hate it and they love their cars. And it probably takes a generation. <laughs> it probably takes legitimately for public transport a generation or so uh, before it's adopted. Because it needs to be yeah, normalised. Yeah, because people don't like change. Um, you know, so so for regional authorities, um, these massive investments can become career killers as well. So you've got you've got local bodies that are kind of you know also thinking about their jobs. Yeah, um, I, it's, it, the plan for public transport is is central to good urban planning. And indeed, for rural settlements as well, of course, who often have no or very, very rare bus services. Um, and uh, you know, when I first came to New Zealand in '97, I was able to travel by train quite a lot. Now I can't. No, I think, of course, only between the big cities because uh, the train service, the, the network is so limited. But uh, yeah, that's that's sad. Um, 
And uh, to try and public transport, you need to link it entirely to the way you develop commercial, educational, recreational activities, so that those activities are reinforcing the viability of, of your public transport system. And essentially, to get people to transfer from car, you need to have a very efficient and effective and frequent public transport system that feels really safe and nice. Uh, and, and that's what is very difficult to achieve. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, you can look at so many European cities, not in America, but certainly mm-hmm. in Europe, um, where it works superbly. And London is a big, big city. Um, it's, it's, um, it's a very good example of how to do it, except that when you've got a smaller town, you know, such as Dunedin or, or even Christchurch, it's, it's much more difficult. Unless you have a frequency of 10 minutes or so, yeah. um, which is a dream, isn't it, uh, <laughs> here, then, and then it's, uh, people aren't going to transfer. They need to be able to get on the bus, you know, knowing, knowing it's coming, or if, it's a bit, if they're a bit late, they get the next one, it's there. They've got the information handy um, on, on the phone or, or on information on the bus stops or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it means also people and activities need to be very close to those good services. And so any intensification which you might be planning should be only and, 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 and then very actively close to those high-quality public transport routes. Um, ironically, my bus didn't turn up this morning here. Uh, <laughs> 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 I had to wait for the next one. Um, <laughs> luckily, I leave early enough. Uh, in the morning well and get to work. I get to work quite early, a lot earlier than I have to. Um, an interesting one for me, because you brought up Christchurch there, and I assume you've got many cities like this in Europe, uh, in the UK. Um, Christchurch has become one of those cities pre-earthquake and, and post-earthquake as well, where you've got um, localised areas of shopping, like a big shopping mall with other shops surrounding it. Um, yeah. You know, and, and is that the model that you like to see? Because it is killing off, um, you know, Main Street, the centre city. Well, the, the essence of, of localisation is that you do have activities, especially shops and cafes and so on, within easy walking distance. Um, and the habits of walking in different countries do vary. Yeah. So if you're in America, you find that people can't walk a yard but um, in, well, well, in the UK, it might be a kilometre. In, in some parts of, of Europe, it might be a, a two kilometres. But, you know, it's, it's, um, so you have to judge according to where you are. Yeah. But local shopping, local opportunities for, um, you know, doing all the things you'd normally do on average day, apart from maybe going to work, and in, but including school, um, that should be as local as possible to allow people to change into walking and cycling. And if you can create a place like that, as has happened, um, with, as you're saying, within a generation, people's habits change. Yeah. They find it so lovely walking um, to facilities, meeting people on the street, um, building a sense of community in that way. Uh, you know, it, it, can, it can really work. But, of course, if you've got low-density cities, it's a, it's a big tussle. It's a long, a long-term strategy. Yeah, yeah, and and, the, and 
and even when you have areas like that pop up, maybe even offices and stuff like that pop up as well, and then you can walk to work because that's one of the bigger, you know, it's it's a big issue as people get in their car, they drive to work, they park close to work, they walk there. It takes thirty seconds to five minutes, and basically, that's what a lot of people that's their that's their exercise for an entire day. Yeah. You know, people just aren't moving anymore. And, and and that's the issue. And I'm totally guilty of it. I should be walking to work. It's only 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah. But, but I can't... Ca- ca- obviously, convenience is a, is a key factor. If yeah. you find that you have to walk 45 minutes, but you can get get there in the car in 10, yeah. then um, you're going to go by car normally. Most people, most of the time. Mm. So you've got to create a situation which, as you've implied before, people will be able to... Um, the light to, uh, to find a practice and, um, and that that does mean gradually changing the shape of the city to suit that yeah yeah um, and then you know and of course the, the, the payoff for all that is less emissions right one of the other big payoffs of that one is less emissions from your oh, from yeah. vehicles absolutely and uh, one of the things that I've uh, boring for people to extinction with is, is to emphasize that what's good for the planet is good for people and what's good for people is good for the planet mm. and, uh, and that's that's a remarkable truth I think there's something deep about that why is it that what is healthy for people is also healthy for the planet yeah. and that, that there's uh, you know you can't quite put your finger on on, on that there's a, a sense of mystery there but it's true um, yep. Occasionally, you can find things that, uh, if you're trying to combat climate change and so on, um, oh well, that doesn't sound very good for people. But you can normally find a way through in a way that is really, really constructive. Yes. So emissions and reducing um, carbon and um, other other emissions is, is obviously central to any strategy for development. Yeah, and, that, and, and that's and, um, that was one factor there, which I was thinking about last night, um, because on the, I don't know about New Zealand, but in Britain we're going to not be able to buy a, a diesel or, or petrol vehicle after 2030. So it'll only be electric, yeah. fully electric vehicles, which is driving the market. Of course, the market is suddenly responding. Wow, <laughs> wow, what an opportunity! We've got to. Change the way we make cars and do them as, do them as electric, yeah. and, and, and electric bikes and so on are coming up at the same time. Um, now, immediately you have electric vehicles everywhere. Even if you've got efficient public transport and that's electric too, and and so forth, um, you're going to have a much bigger demand for electricity. Yes. Well, how do you supply that? You can't go on um, using the same old technique. No, uh, and in in Britain again, and maybe the, the same applies it could apply here. Um, what we ought to have in our building work is every new building has solar panels on the roof which generate electricity. Yeah, of voltaic cells, and that that will be such a simple thing. The price would come roaring down, and um, and we'd be able to generate. And then if you can, if you can get good batteries, store locally. Um, that energy for for use, so it doesn't doesn't compound the problem of the overall electricity network across the country. Yes, yes, um, well, and and also wind power might be a, a, 
I could answer, locally. Well, of course, in Britain, you, you, Sorry, still, you still use a little coal in Britain. Sorry? You still use a lot of coal in Britain. Um, no, no. No, you don't? don't? Yeah, coal, coal is being almost completely... There's ah. one power station that still uses coal from time to time, but it's basically being completely um, oh, wow. re- removed. Oh, yeah. And this is why we've had a, a rapidly falling carbon footprint as a whole, um, because, because we've been phasing out coal and yep. oil um, from, from electricity generation. Yeah, we've got one coal fire plant as well that we use from time to time, Hartley B. It's only on in high demand, but we are always in high demand at the moment, and we import all the coal for it. Um, Jeepers Creepers, oh, what was I going to say? I've totally lost track of my own brain now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, yeah. So, I mean, what, one quick thing before I go was the one thing I was going to bring up, because we, 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 we talked quickly about climate change, and we talked about emissions and things like that, um, but one thing that's affecting us here in Aotearoa and the entire world, uh, especially in lowland countries, and you'll know this with um, you know across across your pond with with um, Holland, um, yeah. is of course uh, the rising sea, um, the rising seas, we and we yeah. have um, you know here in Dunedin we have a lot of reclaimed land. Um, yeah. So it's low lying. So south, you know the part that we call South Dunedin, um, you know, has been marked as going to be in, eventually in a lot of trouble, and it'll be gone. So, what are your ideas around that? I mean, do you retreat or do you fight? Oh, uh, there's a difficult one. Um, <laughs> well, the first, the first thing is you 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 follow up um, Glasgow, uh, the Glasgow meeting. Yeah. with very effective action across the world. I know that's not always going to happen. And and I can't see us keeping down to 1.5 above no. pre-industrial levels, 1.5 degrees above pre-industrial levels. I think it'll probably reach two, um, which is bad news for um, sea level rise. And when you, when you look at the rate at which things are beginning to happen over Greenland and so on, um, and so, yeah, it's, it is going to be a huge problem. And um, migration is going to be driven by it as well. Of course. Internationally. Because um, places like Bangladesh are going to eventually, some in the Delta area, be invi- non-viable. So um, we, can't keep it, we can't keep the sea out. Um, well, you have to judge according to place, don't you? And, yeah. and look at what the situation is there, how easy it is to put up defences. Um, or to, uh, to, to and to maintain them and to increase them, um, or whether uh, a strategic retreat is called for, and you can make good use of that by restructuring in some way. So there's no general answer, but um, certainly both both defence and retreat are maybe called for. Yes, indeed. Be a, be a both, probably. No doubt both at the same time. Um, all right. Well, Hugh, thank you so much for joining us this morning. An absolute pleasure. Well, thank you very much. So uh, you, it's a great opportunity, and, uh, and I hope, yeah, I hope you, you're, you have a large audience. Yes, yes. And your, your talk tomorrow is from 12 to 1 in room 5N4, the Richardson Building. Now, the, the, the room has a 20-person capacity um, under the current times of COVID, but you can stream it live. Uh, and the stream for that can be found at the, uh, just look up the Otago University events page uh, and then look up uh, Shaping Neighbourhoods for Local Health and Global Sustainability and you will find the Zoom link there. 
and hopefully we work better than my Zoom link this morning. Uh, but Hugh, once again, thank you so much. Well, thank you, Jamie. Good to speak to you. Yes, absolute pleasure. Um, and uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Yeah, okay. This was a Radio 191 FM podcast. You can find more at r1.co.nz or wherever quality content is found.